Hello, everyone. Hello. Good evening. How's everyone doing? That's good. It sounds like you guys are not doing so great just by that response. That's good. That's good to hear. Uh, we've had a great summer, haven't we? It's been cool to hear everyone, right? Uh, we had some people that have less experience come up. Uh, you know, for some, it was their first time. And we've had dudes like Bryce who have done this like a million times. Where's Bryce? Right there. You, you basically own the well at this point. <laughs> Thank you for, for doing all that you do around here, bro. <laughs> uh, but it's been good. It's, it's been a huge exhortation to me going through Ephesians um, and, and just hearing all the different things that Paul exhorts the believers at the Ephesian church to do. And I hope it's been the same for you. Um, I, I, was, I was thinking and praying, and I, I woke up this morning, you know, just spending time with the Lord, and he, he brought the verse Matthew eighteen twenty to mind, which says, um, roughly, where two or three are gathered in my name, there will I be something to that effect. I could have looked it up for you guys, but we're on a, we're on a time budget here. Uh, but it's true, man. We come to the well each Tuesday because we like each other, of course, because we're, we're fun to hang out with, because it's a good time around here. We're gathered here in the name of the Lord, man. We're here to worship him. We're here to glorify him. We're here to learn how we can give more of our lives to him each and every day. It's like John the Baptist said, he must increase but I must decrease. So I just want that to be on your hearts and on your minds tonight as we uh, go to the Lord in the word. Uh, let's start off in some prayers so that we can do that, so that we can decrease and let him increase. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your goodness in bringing all of us here safely and man, just, just the amount of things you've invested in us, your grace and your mercy. Uh, we don't deserve any of it, God, but you are good to us. And I just pray tonight that I would decrease and that you would increase. I pray that the uh, people here tonight, they would give you their hearts, Lord, and just allow you to, to change them for the better uh, in, in their lives, in their workplace, wherever they need to change for you, God. Please just help them to soften their hearts and love you more, God. Please be with us tonight. Get me out of the way. Make me transparent so that people can hear directly from you in Ephesians tonight. Thank you for all you do for us, Lord. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you haven't already, turn to Ephesians 6. Uh, it seems like most of you have. That's awesome. In the last few weeks, right, two, three weeks, we've started Ephesians 6. We looked at uh, fathers and children last week. The week before, in Ephesians 5, we looked at husbands and wives. Tonight, we're going to look at one more pairing, and that's servants and masters. So in Ephesians 6, 5, and 9, if you aren't there yet or don't have your Bibles, it's already up on the screen. We have an awesome team in the back who's on that. Jackson's back there hustling tonight. Thanks, brother. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. If you cast your mind back to the past two weeks and the things we discussed, uh, we were talking about husbands and wives and fathers and children, but we were specifically talking about the way that they interact with one another in Christ. Tonight's passage continues that discussion, right, with masters and servants, and yet all three groups are tied together by the common theme of Ephesians 5.21. 5.21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. We've seen wives submitting themselves to their husbands. We've seen husbands loving their wives. 
We've seen children obeying their parents and fathers specifically bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, knowing that they too have a father in heaven. And before we get to our main points this evening, I just want to note that each of these actions, right, submission, love, obedience, nurture, admonition, are to happen regardless of the other person. This applies to each and every one of us in here. The husband does not love his wife only if she submits to him. He does it anyway. Why does he do that? Because Jesus Christ loves his church even though she constantly refuses to submit herself to him. The, the vice versa applies to each and every one of those pairings. Uh, wives submit themselves to their husbands regardless of how he loves her. We do it because Christ has given us that example. Suffice it to say, you cannot control others' people's actions. That does not make these instructions conditional. So that being said, we, we all have a choice to make uh, for ourselves based solely on whether we will obey God's authority in our lives. That's imperative to understand as we look at tonight's uh, passage more in depth and try to apply it to our lives. So with all that out of the way, we're going to dive in and look at servants and masters, starting with number one, which is true service. Let me hit a bit of water here. I'm starting to become your slime in my, in my mouth area. <laughs> all right, back to the passage at hand. We can see in this passage the core tenets of how servants are supposed to conduct their service in obedience, full of fear and trembling toward their masters, and in singleness of heart. What they do is not simply eye service towards men. They seek to, uh, excuse me, they seek to do the will of God from the heart, doing service as to the Lord in goodwill. There's purpose and praise the Lord in what they do. So let's look at that breakdown a little bit further with letter A, obedience. The first thing Paul tells his servants to do is to obey their masters. For a servant, obedience is the foundation that everything is built upon. It doesn't matter how good the intentions of the servant are if they don't do what they were asked to do. The work becomes fruitless. It becomes pointless at that point. We can understand this a little bit better if we do what? We take a look at the Bible. We take a look at what the Bible says. Pretty straightforward. Romans 15.4 tells us, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So the Old, Tes- the Old Testament may not have been written to us in the church, but we can certainly learn from it. So if you have your Bible, which it seems like everyone here does, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 15. I know I'm having you guys turn a lot tonight, uh, but I want you to, to not just hear this from me. I want you to see it and read it and let the, the words in your Bible uh, just be before you. I'll give you all a second to do that. We're going to start in verse 1 tonight. As you guys get there, it says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people Israel, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, oxen, sheep, camel and ass. Skipping down a bit, we're we're going to kind of jump around this chapter a bit. Go to to verse 7. It says in small goodness in Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, 
that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Piece of candy to whoever can tell me, did Saul do what he was asked? No, good answer. Saul had a very specific task given to him from God. And what did he do? He saved the king of the Amalekites and the best of the animals, right? And yet, even though that is very evidently true, we just read that, Saul just didn't seem to get what the problem was with that. Look down at verse 19. It says, Wherefore then, this is Samuel talking, Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took up the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So rather than destroy everything, Saul and company deemed the king and animals worthy of escaping the sword. He even put a holy twist on things by saying that they were going to take those animals and sacrifice them to the Lord, right? But that wasn't what God had asked. He wanted the Amalekites to be destroyed utterly because earlier in Israel's history, they had opposed Israel and the God of Israel. That's why he wanted them to be destroyed. But in the mind of man, we often think that I service, excuse me, I service, or what looks the best is the best. God has a different idea. Looking down at uh, verse 22, it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Look and see the difference of what actually pleases the Lord. It isn't burnt offerings and sacrifices, the physical things which can be seen and touched and felt. It's not what's on the outside that the Lord is seeking. It's what's on the inside. God desires his, our obedience to his word. So when we're dealing with Saul here, the Lord was seeking obedience toward his commandment. Saul was his servant set in a high position as the king of Israel, but Saul attempted to do what he thought looked right and also just flat out didn't obey the Lord. He broke his commandment. Obedient is, obedience is everything, even if it isn't as pretty as the plan we ourselves come up with. So correct service has to start with obedience. That's the foundation. We move on to letter B, uh, which is fear. Paul uses the phrase fear and trembling when describing how to obey our masters. Servants should view their masters from a position of fear rather than a position of flippancy. Psalm 2.11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. See the reverential tone taken in that verse? The Lord is great and is to be served with a respectful fear of who he is. God wants his servants to rejoice with trembling as they praise the God who spoke the universe into existence. Job famously said, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has the power both to give and to take away as he sees his right. Psalm 33, 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Standing in awe is the antithesis of speaking down to someone or viewing them poorly. To stand in awe of the Lord, to fear him, is to know who he is and know who you are in light of him. 
So let's look at this in the light of our passage, as Paul tells servants to be obedient to their masters with fear and trembling. It's evident in today's society that the boss man's the bad man, right? You know, he, he's the one that's over you, and he's the one that's trying to, to take as much from you as he can out of your paycheck or out of your, you know, pride. So let's take every chance we get to stick it to the man. It's not that way with God. Don't let it be that way in your life with God. God will, if you let it be that way in your life, show you just who he is and just who you are and the roles that you both have in your life. Servants should look at their masters with fear and trembling, in awe and reverence. Obedience is the foundation, and the fear is the first thing built thereon. Letter C, we move on, and we look at the heart. When I was a child in the, what was called the Adventure Zone, I don't even know if it's still called that now, uh, we used to sing a song, you younger guys might remember it, it's called, uh, The Lord Looks at the Heart. And the lyrics were, were simple, but they were really just brimming with the truth. It says, when we look at each other, we can only see the outside. But the Lord can see past all that. So much more, as a matter of fact. It's Dr. Seuss book sounding. The Lord does not look at the thing man looks at. The Lord looks at the heart. It's funny how much truth is in those old Sunday school songs that we used to just sing and dance to and not really consider. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. The Lord a servant isn't just the man or woman who is most efficient or fit for the job. The Lord looks on the heart, because what is on the inside of a servant is infinitely more important than what is on the outside. All too often, we look at what we've gotten done on the outside, and we completely forget that it is all about the heart. That's why we often say around here at FBC that the Lord doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. It all begins with your heart. Colossians 3.23, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. So the question begs to be asked, when we do something, are we just doing it as unto men? Or are we doing whatever we do with our hearts as to the Lord? All right, we've looked at the big three. We looked at obedience, we looked at fear and trembling, and we looked at the heart. We are gonna move on. Those things came out of verse five of our passage tonight, and in taking a look at the passage, uh, you can kind of see a shift from the how, right, how we serve, to the whom, who we serve. Starting in verse six, the focus goes from the servant and his service to whom the service is toward. This is important because we see from it the second point, which is the true master. The true master. Servants aren't servants without a master. That's just how this works. They need someone to give them commands. In our passage, Paul distinctly says, them that are your masters according to the flesh. It's clear that in that verse, we are discussing our outward service toward others on this earth. There's a more important service taking place than that outward service, um, and it's the service that's taking place inside. Paul starts saying things like, as the servants of Christ, and as to the Lord, there's a greater service going on inside of us that culminates in the exhortation to masters according to the flesh in verse 9. It says, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. Colossians 4 says this way in verse 1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So as it turns out, our masters, according to the flesh, 
are actually just servants too, serving in a different role. Such a scenario suggests us as servants serving some which are certainly servants themselves. It's called consonants. I had to look that up. That's not a joke. All the bases are covered. Whether you are under someone or you are the someone, you are a servant of the Most High Lord. That is, if you have made him your Lord and Savior. If you don't know what that means or you've been wrestling with that for a while, come talk to one of us. We here at the well, are the, the leaders at the well, the regulars here at the well, we want nothing more than for you to come and, and talk to us about making the decision that each and every one of us has to make about who is our master. Make it tonight. It's clear, heading back to what we were talking about, it's clear that we who are saved report to one master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the Lord Christ himself being the master also showed us all what a true servant looks like. John 13, 35, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and layeth aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Jesus, who knows full well that he is God, came from God and was going to God, got down on the ground and washed his disciples' feet. See the humility in what Christ does. Being Lord, he washes his servants' feet. The part of the body that is lowest to the ground, the part that is esteemed lowly, The feet get dirty while walking in the world and for one to wash another's feet requires that that person get as low to the ground as they possibly can down here on their knees and wash their feet. It requires love and humility to wash someone's stank feet. And that is what the Lord did. The Lord who all things were made by, see John 1, who resides above all of us in every way, shape, and form, washed his servants' feet. John 13, 12 through 15 says, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. So take it from the one who is the master and the servant. We ought to serve one another, servants and masters, having one example in Christ. We do all things as to the Lord and not just unto man. We obey in all humble adoration and wonder, with all our hearts doing good will to those that are over us. And to those beneath us, we do the same, for our master was our servant too. We humble ourselves in love to others who may or may not do the same for us, but we do all of that. We love our wives, we submit to our husbands, we obey our parents, we as fathers nurture and admonish our children because we serve the Lord Christ. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for uh, working on each and every one of our hearts tonight in the way that you have and in the way that you will continue through the discussion questions. I pray that, pray that that time is fruitful. I pray that we can settle the matter in our hearts tonight of who our master is. And for those of us who have, I pray that we would submit to you every day in obedience, in fear and trembling, and with our whole hearts, God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.